morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. From inside of the Beltway, it is the last radio hour of the week. That means it is time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. Once a week, I go high or I go deep with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, or one of his colleagues. And we had been on a, uh, a very well-defined path. We are going to begin from prehistory and get ourselves up to the present day. How did the West become the West? But, but history keeps intervening in our conversation and this vacancy on the Supreme Court brought about by the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg obliges Dr. Arn and I to go to a rest stop on our road to the Western uh, uh, civilization's rise and stop at Augustus. We'll return to him and talk about this vacancy. Good morning, President Arn. How are things at college? Uh, college is great. We're having college, and uh, uh, the kids are mostly being good, and I haven't imposed the death penalty on anybody yet. And, and, and colleges typically involve beer, and, uh, of course, assuming people are of age. Does that remain, in fact, true? Uh, yeah, we, you know, yeah, with young people, you have to watch alcohol all the time. I, we don't have, you know, we have fewer problems, <laughs> excuse me, fewer problems in most places because we operate by an honor code. And so when beer gets to be a thing around here, it's because off-campus parties and, uh, you know, those are, and the, the kids off-campus live under the same code of behavior as the kids on, and it's what, it's about 20% of the students who do that. And so sometimes they'll grow up a party house, and it happens uh, in two kinds of times. It happens when the weather gets better, and it happens when the weather gets worse. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, when, like, uh, when finals are approaching, there's a break, you know, kind of. Then, you know, then, and so, but, you know, they're, if, if a party does get out of hand, and we, we always know, then we call in the guys who are in, it's almost always guys, but guys or girls who own the house, and we tell them to be good, and if they're not, we make them move back onto campus. You know, Dr. Arndt, when both of my boys went off to college, they were taken aside by a veteran in the United States Navy, a distinguished uh, uh, combat veteran of Vietnam, a fighter pilot. And he said to them, you know, the best kind of beer and they didn't know, and he said the cheapest. And so I, I think actually that's kind of a universal law that could be up there with Aristotle. But I, I understand. I'm just glad to hear college is back. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's back all over the United States, and it has not been a disaster. No, and I, I don't think it will be. We have some cases of this, and, you know, the statistics for young people are just great. And so it's best, you know, we, we have a big operation going. If they get the symptoms, they get tested and they get isolated, and we're doing all that. But the, the most important thing, uh, you know, I guess after trying to memorize the myriad rules of the governor of Michigan, the most important thing is there's some people who, who can get this, and it'll kill them in a hurry. And so those people, and those people... You know, they're not perfectly identifiable, but they are largely identifiable. Protecting <coughs> them is the big thing. And so the kids here are taught, uh, you know, be careful all the time. If, you, if anybody with gray hair, you know, be extra careful. Keep your distance. And, uh, and they, you know, they listen to that. First of all, they don't want to get sent home. And second of all, they're fine kids. Well, you know, what I, I was thinking on this last night, because we're going to talk about the vacancy on the Supreme Court. This is an important moment in the life of the nation that we cannot make a mess of. 
There is an important life uh, moment in the life of every student who chooses to go to college, which is the fall of their freshman year. It really is an important moment. It, it defines a lot of how their life will go, and we can't make a mess of it. So I'm glad you brought them to the college to learn how to live in a college. And I think Hillsdale does that about as well as anyone else. And so you, that you have rallied and gotten them there is uh, my hat is off to you. I don't think people quite understand how important that transition is from the protections of family to the influences of community. Yeah, the, you know, the ones that they all matter, right? Because you don't get very long in college, and it's a formative, intense experience. And you're right to say the, the freshmen and the seniors are the ones who are worst affected by closing college. And, you know, we've, we, there's one experience with that. In our 175 years, last spring we were closed for two months, and we've never that's never happened before, and I intend for it never to happen again. Didn't it happen during the Civil War? I thought you lost all your students in the Civil War. No, well, we we lost all the boys, (laughs) and uh, you know, just about all of them, and so there was a faculty meeting, emergency, right? We're going to go broke. We've lost our students, and. they voted that the faculty of Hillsdale College could not, in good conscience, discourage anyone from fighting for the Union. And so we crippled through. And, you know, through the great, you know, Hillsdale College is old, and Hillsdale College right now is strong. Hillsdale College has almost failed two or three times. And uh, those were times, right? The Great Depression is another one. Uh, in the 19, early 1950s, after the Second World War, there was a really rocky time. And uh, so we don't want to do that anymore either. Well, we are on a rocky time now for the Constitution. I want to play for you as a means of introducing this a CNN host, Don Lemon, who speaks for the left wing in the United States. I think Don is, by anyone's fair estimate, a hard left man. Uh, And here is what Don Lemon said this week, cut number 21, anticipating that the Republicans would move forward to fill the seat vacated by the death of Justice Ginsburg. Everybody sticks to the We're going to have to blow up the entire system. And you know what we're going to have to do? I don't know. You know what we're going to Yes, we we have to do. You just got to honestly, from what your closing argument is, you're going to have to get rid of the Electoral College. Because the people, I don't see it. Uh, because the, the minority in this country decides who the judges are, and they decide who the president is. is well, you that, need a is constitutional amendment to do that. And if Democrats, if Joe Biden wins, Democrats can sack the courts, and they can do that amendment, and they can get it passed. Well, you that's need two thirds vote in the Congress and three quarters of the state legislature. They may be able to do that. Now, Larry Orrin, he is uh, is not the world's biggest audience. It's probably a million people, but it is. Uh, a pretty representative of what Manhattan Beltway media believe. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's the, this is, this is not the worst time in American history, but it's like the worst times. And one of the ways it's like it is uh, every defeat calls for, call, uh, calls for scrapping the whole system. Uh, you know, that's, I mean, what, what was the secession crisis? I mean, first, the, the secession crisis ended with secession, and then we had the Civil War. But, you know, for 10 years, the 1850s, this is like the 1850s, every time something was proposed that was thought to offend against the rights of the Confederate states, then they were going to pull out. And, and uh, that, you know, that's so overturn the whole system. I mean, first of all, 
the minority rarely elects the president. If you mean minority of the whole nation, that happens sometimes. But that that what offsets that is we are trying to keep a great nation spread across a whole continent together with people living under different conditions. And that was the great thing uh, present to the minds of the founders. And so the Electoral College and the Senate and the federalism, they spread authority across the country. And that means that we, we all get to act. And, you know, what, these, what, what his proposal calls for is that basically the big urban centers will elect everyone. Yes. Yes, and, and he, he said it is explicitly majoritarian, and the United States Constitution is explicitly anti-majoritarian because we want to preserve minorities against the rule of despotic majorities and sometimes uh, rapidly forming and quixotic and often dangerous majority rule. Well, I'd modify that a little bit. So, you know, Jefferson says he didn't write the Constitution, but uh, he was out of the country. But he says, in all cases, the majority must rule. But for the rule to be rightful, it must be reasonable and protective of the rights of the minorities. That, I think, is a better statement. Majority rule is the rule, and by the way, it is effectively, it is the rule that has prevailed in presidential elections throughout history. And there have been a few times when the popular vote went one way and the, and the Electoral College went another, and that's because of that, that element of making sure that minority rights are protected. And the constitutional majority, a term I learned from you, does not depend upon the popular vote. If it did, campaigns would be different. We oh, come yeah. back in a minute, but I just, it's like counting the total yardage in an NFL football game. That does not matter. The yeah. final score matters. It, uh, you know, we don't, uh, you know, they didn't count Abraham Lincoln's votes in the South. And so oh, I, I it, didn't know that popular vote. You know, it's ambiguous. I did not know that. I'll be back with Dr. Larry Arn, who's always here to teach me something. President of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu, including your application, seniors in high school. Hillsdale.edu. I'll be right back with Larry Arn. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, 22 minutes after the hour. The Hillsdale Dialogue on the Hugh Hewitt Show is underway with President Larry Arn of Hillsdale College. Probably the most remarked upon segment I do every week is the Hillsdale Dialogue, and it's because people like the way that Dr. Arn is mean to me, and I understand that. And, uh, you know, once or twice a year, someone will come up and ask me to write to you about their application to the Hillsdale College, and I tell them that probably won't help them, uh, that it, it might be a black mark against their record, but they nevertheless, and I tell them, just go to hillsdale.edu and apply. Uh Doctor, and I want to play for you Nancy Pelosi yesterday. This is the speaker, a constitutional officer, being asked a question by the press about Article 6 of the Constitution, which prohibits religious tests. Cut number four. We were able to achieve what we did the other day and have a big, strong, bipartisan vote to keep government open. I'm not going to get into um, anybody's interpretation of one thing or another. The confirmation is the work of the, the Senate, and uh, I trust the judgment of our Democrats. What do you make of that, President Larry Arn? Uh, well, that was diplomatic. She probably doesn't know anything about it. Ha! <laughs> 
don't know. I don't know. That's she, more she, generous than my interpretation, which is she is choosing to ignore an explicit constitutional command that bars religious tests. Yeah, and well, you know, she said she trusts the Democrats in the Senate, right? And what you're supposed to do is trust the Senate, right? And the Democrats and the Republicans together make it up. And if the Democrats were in the majority, you know, in the like this is, this is the worst thing. I have said that to certain leaders of the Senate several times. It is supposed to be a deliberative body. And you should restore its, its ability to argue. You know, because right now the way the filibuster works is somebody just puts in a filibuster and it's over, right? You just stop talking. Whereas the, the, the purpose of the filibuster in 16th century law, sorry, 17th century law was sustained debate. Well, the filibuster doesn't, doesn't uh, apply here, right, because McConnell got rid of it for judges, for Supreme Court judges, and partially for lower court judges. And what, now what's that mean? That means they're going to have a big argument. I've heard you say they should get, they should get about it as fast as possible. And I think that's a good idea because I think they need to have arguments. They need to have a big fight. And uh, people could do very well to watch the things themselves. Yes. Because the press account of these things is just pitiful. And, uh, it, you know, you just don't get a sense. I, I'll tell a quick story about that as an encouragement to watch the confirmation hearings. Uh, I was at the National Archive on Constitution Day, and I was on that academic panel that they put together to talk about restoring the true, finding the truth and teaching it about the American Revolution, America's history. And then after that, Trump came in and gave a speech. And the speech, I was sitting 15 feet from him, right? I don't know him, and I'm, uh, but, uh, you know, I, he, it, it was a beautiful speech, and it was about the importance of the legacy of freedom we have from those documents which were immediately behind him while he was speaking. And, and you, you need to see that, right? Because, you know, I, I, I thought his uh, acceptance speech at the Republican Convention was very good. And, uh, you know, and I was watching, I had watched PBS earlier in the night, and these people are just opining like crazy, right? And there's no uh, reporting going on. So I did watch the thing itself on Fox, and Chris Wallace comes on immediately after, and his first words were, that fell flat. <laughs> That's amazing, you know. What kind of journalism is that? Well, and, it isn't uh, journalism. So, it so isn't journalism. Yeah, it's not. It's not reporting the news of the day. So all of these things, it's, uh, you know, we're in that uh, uh, interpretations are so many. And facts are so few that it's actually easier to follow the facts. <laughs> we will be when we come back, we're going to talk about the nominees on the president's short list. And we will talk about why you need to watch the hearings. And I think they ought to start on October the 6th. And they'll probably last four days. And I really hope, as many Americans, Dr. Owen suggests, you sit down and watch them. You really need to watch them. We'll explain who the candidates are and what they bring to the table when we return to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Dr. Larry Arn is president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale is, are found at hillsdale.edu, including some marvelous courses on the Constitution, the Progressives, Winston Churchill by Dr. Larry Arn, and many other great courses by his colleagues. Every conversation we have had for all oh, these many years 
is found at HughForHillsdale.com, and they begin in prehistory, and they extend to the present day, as in fact, to this weekend. Tomorrow, in fact, at 5 p.m., President Donald Trump will come out in the Rose Garden accompanied by one of five women. Judge Amy Coney Barrett of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, Judge Joan Larson of the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit and of Michigan, Judge Barbara Lagoa of the United States Court of Appeals for the Eleventh Circuit and Florida, or Judge Allison Rushing of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit and North Carolina, or Deputy Counsel to the President Kate Todd. And I do not know where Ms. Todd uh, is from, though she presently lives in Virginia. Dr. Arn, do you know any of these would-be nominees on the shortlist? Uh, well, I have a correspondence with Amy Barrett, and a lot of people here know her. She was scheduled to be our commencement speaker last year, and that was disrupted. And uh, then she couldn't make, although she tried to actually move a family reunion to, to meet the date when we did it, did do it in the middle of July. So we didn't get her. But she's still on our list, and she's highly thought of around here. And she's a, uh, you know, I, I, she, she has two things one's looking for. She has uh, a serious mind, legal mind. <clears throat> because, you know, to, to navigate through that, you know, for years with all the elite places fading you and trying to influence you, you need a really great mind. And, you know, I, I think my favorite judges these days are Clarence Thomas, and that's for eternity, and uh, Sam Alito, who's just, you know, but they both have their firm, right? They can handle any question. So that brings to the second thing, and that is a sense of deep conviction to the law, which is rooted in a, convic- in a conviction in eternal things. And, uh, you know, uh, Amy Barrett's famously a Catholic, and that's been controversial because Dianne Feinstein attacked her for it. As did Richard Durbin, a Catholic, as did Maisie Hirono, as did Reuters this week, as have many, many people, including a Catholic theologian at Villanova yesterday. You know, I and see, that's that's uh, fine by me. It's better than fine by me, if as long as they know how to reason. So Bill Barr, you know, I had it, we talked about it last week, and, and uh, it's just so impressive with him that he's explained his commitment to the law. And his commitment to the law is built on his commitment to God, but he understands that those commitments are different things. Yes. That, uh, you know, the Constitution and the Bible are not the same thing. But whatever requires him to obey the ultimate power requires him to obey a subordinate power that operates in a different realm. And that, that's what I mean. I mean, to put all that together, right, so that you're not just drifting over the falls in a canoe. You have some ballast. And, uh, and so I look for that in, in these people. Now, and Dr. Arn, it has been said to me, the joke is now about abroad, what do you get when you have seven Catholics and two Jews go into a bar? An informal gathering of the Supreme Court. Because Justice Gorsuch, though an Anglican, was uh, raised as a Catholic, and you can take the Catholic... You can take the boy out of the Catholic school, but you can't really take the Catholic school out of the boy. And so the joke is 7-2. What happened to all the uh, Protestants and, and agnostics? It doesn't alarm me in the least, although the appearance of it is unusual. What say you? If, in fact, it's Amy Coney Barrett or Barbara Lagoa, it will be 6-1-2, and two, and, in fact, seven Catholic-educated uh, justices and two Jewish justices. 
Yeah, well, I'm a uh, so you know, so I have an experience about that, right? First of all, I personally am a Anglican, which is a Catholic fellow traveler. Uh, who doesn't have to like Pope Francis? <laughs> but uh, well, well put. Yeah. So, uh, and I do so very much like uh, John Paul and Benedict. Uh, I read read them a lot. They're worth reading. Anyway, as so I have that. But the second thing is, uh, our college, which is you know seriously Christian, is mixed up Catholic and Protestant, and that's it. Could be unique. You know, it's it's. Probably 65, 35, it might be 60, 40 in favor of the Protestants. And and uh, the Catholic kids, you know, last night, uh, my great student, David Morrell, who clerked for Thomas and has just left the Justice Department in a big job, was over here. And he's a big Catholic. He's a convert. And uh, the uh, Catholics who live behind my house, the Catholic house is behind my house, they broke into time, into song, and David Morrell looked up, and I said, "Yeah, it's the Catholics. I'm going to go tell them to shut up." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it, <laughs> what did David say? <laughs> well, he, we've known each other long. I've known him since he was because he's a California boy, and I knew him in Claremont. His father is just a is just a retiring. California state senator, maybe the last good one. It's the Catholic. And, and, uh, you know, Catholics can't sing. This is the funny, you know, and, as we speak, Archbishop Chepu is listening, and, I, and he gets mad at me when I, I, I say things like this. But Catholics can't sing. I have been to Mass 5,000 times, and they can't sing. The men don't try, and they cannot sing. So that you have the Catholics that can sing gathered at Hillsdale is actually kind of unusual. We have this beautiful chapel, right? I mean, it's the most beautiful chapel built in decades, and it was built by the great Duncan Stroik, a Catholic. And I kept trying to get him to get the sound system right, right? Because, and, you know, well, you know, the, 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 in a building like this, the spoken word will struggle. And I said, it will not, right? <laughs> and finally, I, I got frustrated. I mean, he's, you know, one of the greatest architects alive, and he's really great. And he did a fabulous job, so I say all that. But also I said to him, I just said, you Catholics don't know how to put on a show. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, when I travel, I go to Catholic Mass, usually because you can't usually find an Anglican church, and uh, the Catholic Mass is relatively safe. And uh, And, you know... I don't mean to besmirch your faith, but your services are a little sloppy. You, aren't you they? need to go to the High Latin Mass overseen by uh, Archbishop Corleone of San Francisco, which I attended up in Napa Valley, which may still be going on, for all I know. It was four <laughs> years ago. And so you, it, you just got to pick your church. Yeah. <laughs> oh, St. Agnes and St. Paul's. I, I've been there. And they have Latin Mass, and they have. Uh, elements of the Minnesota orchestra and and uh, choir, you know, they do Haydn and Mozart and Bach masses. Yeah, you just have to pick your church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now let's get back to the judge. Judge Barrett, do you know Judge Larson? She is a Michigander, and I wrote favorably about her in the Washington Post because if they're all the same on doctrinal matters, meaning originalist and uh, faithful to the process, though not to any particular result, then I wouldn't mind a political advantage in the nominee, and there is a political advantage in in currying favor with the people from the state up north in which you reside. And so I like her. Do you know of her? Oh, well, she has a good reputation in Michigan. 
Uh, very much. And uh, she clerked for Scalia. Yes. You look at their sort of lineage, you know, who, who, who's their legal mentors. The coaching tree, yes. That's right. And uh, uh, so that's, Scalia is very good, of course. And then Barbara Lagoa of Florida, a Cuban-American. And it's always good, in my view, if your parents have fled communism. Because yeah. if their parents have fled communism, it is likely you are clear-eyed about it. Yeah, and they say about her... So, you know, another thing, it's, it's good, you know, they, if, by the way, if they're, if they're experienced, then they will attack their record. And if they're inexperienced, they will attack their inexperience. Uh, she, she's uh, experienced, somewhat experienced, but uh, uh, she, they say that she's, the reputation she has is that she's just dynamite, that she's personally very impressive. And, you know, she was... Uh, appointed to the Supreme Court of Florida by Ron DeSantis. That's a good thing. And again, there would be an additional benefit uh, of political capital. Allison Rushing is 38 years old, a member of the Alliance Defending Freedom's Blackstone Fellows, which I've lectured for many years, but I began the year after she was in it. So she has not had the benefit of my lecture to the ADF's uh, Blackstone Fellows. What do you make of, of Judge Rushing? Well, she clerked for Clarence Thomas, right? That's... that's uh a base hit on its own. And, uh, and she's, you know, she's, she's got a, she worked for our, our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom, and they made an issue of that when, when uh, she was nominated for the appellate court, and she handled all that very deftly, right? And, uh, again, you know, everybody's got connections. Do you have, do you have a handy how she responded to that uh, accusation that she would need to recuse herself? Yeah, this uh, is a perfect. This is a microcosm of perfection, and that's mostly because it's completely uninteresting. <laughs> <It's just> a, <laughs> I would determine the appropriate action with the input of the parties, consultation of the rules and ethical canons, and consultation with my colleagues. <laughs> you see, that's not that is a beautiful judicial answer. It is that's not right. particularly good for talk radio, but it's a great judicial answer. Here's another one that's uh, restrained and. Stronger, right? And it's just right. It strikes me. So the Southern Poverty Law Center um, has labeled ADF a hate group. And to get labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, all you have to do is say something in favor of some conservative or Republican politician at some point in your life. Uh, she replies, hate is wrong, and it should have no place in our society. In my experience with ADF, I have not witnessed anyone expressing or advocating hate. And see, ADF is a, you know, a Christian-based organization, right? And the commandment there is love. <laughs> so, and then there is, I, I want to make sure I don't forget her, Kate Todd, a deputy counsel in the White House, also a Justice Thomas clerk, also a J. Michael Ludig clerk uh, of the Fourth Circuit, um, also the executive editor of the Harvard Law Review, Sadly, she went to Cornell, but we won't hold that against her. Uh, uh, very well qualified, but I do think that would require a longer time than four sitting appeals court judges. Yeah, well, I'll say one thing about that. Her story is a, is a story of overcoming from Cornell and Harvard to Clarence Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> there, are there no Hillsdale graduates on the short list? Uh, no, they're too young, uh, you know, uh, they're too young, but they will be. 
Soon. Soon. David Morrell is probably going to be a judge if he wants to be. And uh, Paul Ray, who right now is the regulatory czar, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He might end up being. There's a bunch of them that might be a judge. We'll be right back after the break, America. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Arn and I will be back to talk about the week ahead and tomorrow afternoon's announcement of whom uh, President Trump will be nominated to be the next justice of the Supreme Court. All things Hillsdale, including every one of these conversations, available at hillsdale.edu. Dr. Arn will be right back. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Dr. Arm, we're in for an extraordinary month, uh, beginning tomorrow afternoon when the president announces his new nominee for the Supreme Court and then the hearings, which I believe will be on October 6th and the vote before the presidential. It's just going to be an extraordinary six weeks. Um, I have friends at the Morning Joe program, good friends, and I have enemies at the website Media Matters. And when I say something about my friends at Morning Joe that is negative, my enemies at Media Matters attempt to drive a wedge. Nevertheless, I want to play for you a 45-second compilation uh, put together by the Washington Free Beacon of a show this week, just little clips of a show this week from Morning Joe uh, that I'd like you to react to. Cut 22. Oh, my God. I don't know. We won't. Call them fascist comments. Fascist. Fascism. Fascist. Call fascism. Fascism. Just fascist. Fascist. Notions of fascism. Xenophobic. Racist. Demagogic. Racist. Sexist. Xenophobic. Autocratic. And fascistic. Donald Trump is a fascist. Someone like a fascist or a tyrant or an autocrat. Fascist rhetoric. Fascist language. Fascists. I'm I'm glad that you're starting talking about fascism. Hitler. Fascist rhetoric. He's talking the way fascists talk. Autocratic. Fascist. Nazi Germany. Before the rise of Hitler, fascist language to Hitler, fascist Hitler, Adolf Hitler, 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 well, Hitler, 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 but Hitler from what Adolf Hitler preached in the early 30s. Let's just say it once and for all. Doctor, and that was um, uh, 45 seconds of clips from one program this week on Morning Joe. What do you make of that? Uh, well, I think they're very concerned about fascism. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not. They don't actually know what it is. Here's the thing. You know, it's, it's characteristic, right? We don't know history. We don't know much about it, right? And none of us, praise the Lord, has seen in our lifetime or ever in American politics anything like Adolf Hitler and the movement behind him. And he, he was the guy who won against a wide variety of movements. And it was racist on its face, and it sought to create the overman, right, the one master of us all. And so that, and that's just like these woke, woke kids who say, if you frown at them or express body language disagreement with what they say, they will shout at you, you are killing me, Right setting up a tension in me that will lead to my demise. And, uh, and so now you're a murderer, and you, and you get denounced all the time, and your whiteness is murdering us, right? Well, the point is, if you can't distinguish that from murder, from actual murder, then there's no ground left for any justice or anything. And so, you know, you can disagree violently, but, you know, and, you know, I don't like the Democratic left, but I don't mistake them for Trotsky. <laughs> well put. Well put. They, they are not killers. 
They are wrong, not yeah. rotten. Some of them are wrong and rotten, but but none of them are lethal. And Trotsky, whether he had an axe in his head because Lenin sent an assassin or be it when he was wielding power in the Soviet Union, he was a killer. Hitler was I, you a know, killer. I can put an argument together that these radical strains on the left could become violent, genocidal, right? But could become is a lot different from being that, you see. And, and so you don't want to say things like that uh, because, wh- what, you know, what ammunition do they have left in reserve in case somebody like Hitler really does show up? That is the problem. If you do have a rise in the United States, and thank God we've never had it, a genuine popular movement that wanted to enact something as evil as National Socialism, we would all, left and right, Democrat and Republican and Independent, have to stop it. Yeah, it's not, you know, and, and you know, some of these rioters and Antifa, they are, some of those are extreme movements, right? And they, I don't know how they compare exactly to the ones in the 1930s or in the, in 1917 in Russia, but they're violent and they're utopian and they're totalitarian, you know, destroy the family and, uh. Also had a lawman this week tell me they're completely incompetent. So that's yeah. a good thing. Uh, you know, they, they, they really are. They lack a basic education. And uh, yeah. well, our, our traditionally revolutionaries who have succeeded have been pretty smart. Would you agree yeah. with that? Well, yeah. Well, they're, you know, like uh, I, I know a particular thing about. So the, the, the communists and Hitler, the, so the Bolsheviks and Hitler were different. The Bolsheviks were militant philosophers. You know, they read Marx and they read Engels and they read all that crazy stuff. And it was a playbook as those things were written to be by those authors. And so they had a kind of outside doctrine. Hitler, you know, who spent several years as a street bum before the First World War, he would just pick up stuff right and turn it into a great story of the German Volk. And, uh, you know, listen to a Wagner uh, opera and think that was, you know, so he contrived a lot of that himself. Well, yeah. maybe a, a crazy, sadistic, evil man can gain power, but not in the United States. Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, it is so good to talk to you. Next week, we'll talk about a specific nominee. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Harley. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Adam. Thanks, everyone. Hillsdale.edu for all things Hillsdale. And I will talk to you next Monday when we have a nominee on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.